Hey everybody, Leah Slaughter. I hope you are doing well. I've been really excited to do this short kind of just overview of who we are and what we did because I get this question a lot and a lot of people don't understand really kind of how we got started and where we made our name and really how old we were when we did it. And I think at the end of the day, we are, we're entrepreneurs and we always have been, but there's so much talk right now about how hard it is to be a business owner and how hard it is to get started and how it takes years of experience and just so much narrative and dialogue around what it is to be a business owner and what it takes to start a business. And for those of you who know me personally and those of you on my Facebook, you know I am a proud supporter of our country and I, wholeheartedly recognize the opportunities that I was given, not only from a great education to meeting my soulmate at a young age, to supportive parents, to life hardships that really drove us and drove me to where we are today. And so part of what I want to go over today, of course, is how we started, how we got here and what we did different, but also the opportunities that we had to make that happen. And so I think that sometimes the the story is so great and so grand that we forget really the backbone of how all of us become business owners and investors and successful. And that is because we live in the greatest country on earth with the best freedoms on earth and uh, certainly uh, that ability and that guidance and and all of that is what made us who we are today. So without further ado, let's get started. So as always, before we get started, anything I'm gonna talk about today is my best guess, my best advice based on my experience and my journey and my business ownership. And so as always, any strategy that we talk about or any type of return or investments that we talk about, always we want to make sure that you run it past the people in your life that you feel are a guide to you and that are there to help you make the best decision about what strategy is right for you. And so we don't have a crystal ball, but we are always going to do our best to guide you. But of course, in this business and any other business pertaining to investments, there are no guarantees. We certainly feel that real estate investment and real estate in general is the safest and most opportunistic place to put our money. And that's certainly where our money is as well. But you want to make sure that every investment strategy is a fit for you and your family and your needs and your future. So. Let's start talking. Uh, you'll see here is a picture of Michael and I when we were in high school. Michael was an ROTC, and if I remember right, this was a bat mitzvah that we went to, and I think I was 14 here. I might be 15, but uh, this was on a little button thing that I have in our memory box, so real cute picture. I, I don't know what I was thinking with that hairdo and what Michael was thinking with those glasses, but uh, humble beginnings, right? So Michael and I were both born and raised in Dallas-Fort Worth. I actually grew up in Dallas and moved to Plano right after September 11th. And Michael was born and raised his whole life in Mesquite. So we both were kind of in the heart of the city. And we both were here when Dallas was very small. I actually remember growing up where the Dallas North Tollway really kind of stopped at Beltline. And then they expanded it. And, you know, one of the things I talk about and a great memory for me was we heard about this fantastic thing called Stonebriar Mall that was going to be opening. And I think that we had either just graduated or we were graduating. 
And my mom said, will you drive me out there? And so we got in the car and Michael drove all of us out to Frisco, which was, I mean, nowhere. It was the boonies. And we drove out there and saw this massive fire, kind of like a waterfall thing that they built around this mall. And we said, what in the world are they doing? This is in the middle of nowhere. And it's so funny because I think that that moment, looking at that investment strategy of looking outside the city and developing in these areas, uh, right on where the highways were gonna go, I think that was a moment for us where we really started looking at what real estate was doing and where it was going. Because Michael and I were always very analytical. And so I can kind of tell you about how that really started. So we met in middle school and uh, we had two friends who knew each other and that's how we got introduced. Both of us had been working at a young age. So I started working at an advertising firm when I was in middle school. And then all the way through late middle school, early high school, I was a camp counselor. I was building websites for people. I did HTML and other design. Uh, we had a small online store back when online stores were unheard of. And um, we were buying things to resell online and actually working with Amazon back in Amazon's early days when Nobody really knew who that was. And so really from the time that we were old enough to understand what business was, we were doing things to make money. I had a very successful web design business and did websites for a lot of well-known people. And so it's something that certainly is translated into life now, because although these days I'm not as involved in the website design, and it certainly has gone so far over my head, I, that general understanding of marketing and background and how the internet worked and working on computers because Michael built computers. We, I wouldn't say we were nerds, but we had a lot of knowledge. And so I think that it really gave us an kind of idea of where to get customers and where to build the business when we get to that point. And so, you know, at that point, online marketing and online leads and, you know, listing online off MLS and all these different things, they were unheard of. I mean, for all intents and purposes, there were still MLS books of properties. And so things were very, very different. So I graduated two years early. Michael graduated a year early. Neither of us could wait to be adults. And we really, I think, my friends were always much older. His friends were always much older. And we just really didn't feel like we fit in. We had close friends that were our age, but it just, we didn't feel in place. And I think part of that was, growing up young, you know, Michael lost his dad at a young age and his mom was really sick. And so I think there was a lot of pressure to be a, a kind of contributing member of society and, and make money and all those things. But for me, when I met Michael, having come from a completely different background and having been raised in a more kind of upscale background, once I saw what the other side of the world lived like, because I'd never seen that, the private school and the private education and the fancy cars and all those things that I saw the kids around me doing, just no longer appealed. And so really kind of once we met, it was immediate. We're going to, you know, graduate. We're going to go get careers. We're going to go do this thing. And so anyway, uh, Michael was a corporate manager at a corporation before the age of 18. I think he was the youngest in, in company history, certainly one of them. I think I remember at the time being told he was the youngest. And um, really he was, he was doing great. He had three or four promotions in the first year and we were making really good money. And so that kind of leads to the next part of our path, and that was buying our first house. So about two months after I turned 18, we bought this house and we bought it. Number one, we wanted to be homeowners. We were throwing money away on rent and that kind of hear where this dialogue's going. Right. So we were throwing money away on rent and we knew that Dallas was really booming. 
And so we started looking off George Bush Turnpike, that highway that was in development, and we wanted to find something that was going to be off that path when George Bush opened its route to Garland, but that kind of gave us that country feel while still being drivable into the main city because he was working in Richardson and Mesquite. And so we bought this house and we paid 185000 for this home. And it was great. I mean, it was fantastic. We were super excited. And you know, our friends thought we were crazy because other 18-year-olds aren't thinking about owning houses, but it was great. So we had an agent that we were working with, and I'm certainly not going to name any names. He's someone I, I still am friendly with. But when I wanted to negotiate, there was a lot of pushback because the market was hot. It was the height of the kind of bubble. And when I wanted to negotiate a bunch of money off and make repairs, it was basically, no, I'm not doing this. No, we're not going to do this. This is not how this is done in this market. And it really rubbed me wrong. And I think, I, I, obviously, y'all knowing me, I put my foot down. And we did the negotiation and they accepted it. So certainly the market could work that way. But it was the general mentality of real estate at that time of the crazy amounts of money people were paying and the over appraisals and the rolling money into transactions and all of the things that were happening that really just kind of made us scratch our heads. And so after we closed on the house about two days later, and of course this was the single biggest purchase and we were you know, just 18 and Michael just turned 19. And Michael, one night we're laying in bed and he said, you know what, I think I can do this better. I'm going to quit my job and go get a real estate license. And I told him he was crazy and he was crazy. And looking back, I'm glad he didn't listen to me because I tried everything I could to talk him out of it. And I couldn't. He was excited about it. He said that he was going to do whatever he had to do to make it successful. He was being called all over the state for his position. And you know, part of the problem was when he was promoted and his corporate employer, all of the lower positions that he had, they couldn't fill. No one knew how to work on the equipment that he was trained on. And so he was having to do his job and the job below him. And so he was used to these crazy hours. And yeah, it paid really well. And that whole, let's take you salary and we're gonna pay you more money sounded great, but we didn't know what salary exempt was. And this is another thing that translates back into my business with my company of why we don't want our employees working those crazy hours without compensation and why almost none of our people are salaried exempt and it's just a different way of doing business right so corporate america is work you as much as we can and generally pay you as little as possible and so that's exactly what his job was and so he quit his job we had very little money saved because we had just bought this house and he basically started walking door to door. And I said, well, look, you're not going to do this without me. And well, if you're going to be in real estate, I want to be in real estate. And so I got my license about a month and a half after he did. And so starting out in real estate, the way that Texas works is if you're an agent, you have to have a broker that holds your license. So we went to this broker and it was kind of a mom and pop broker. I really don't even remember how we found him. What I remember is when Michael was looking to get licensed, he went and met with him. And the guy said, well, if you ever actually do this, come see me. And so Michael did it and saw him and we went and licensed with him and he was okay. I didn't really like the guy. I couldn't quite put my finger on it. He was an old school broker. He'd been doing it a long, long time and kind of the, the old way, right? And so we got in and started working. And of course I designed his website and was helping around the office because that's just, that was what I knew. 
And so Michael started working and walking door to door and we were getting tons of clients, but we were watching the other agents at this company and this broker and how business was running. And it was one of those dual licensed offices back when that was really allowed. And so the same person was the lender and the broker on a transaction. So you could be the buyer's agent and be the mortgage broker for that person. And back then there was no appraisal networks, there were no controls. And so that broker agent was the same person picking the appraiser. And there was a lot of things happening we didn't agree with. And I'm not gonna go into a lot of specifics on that, but long story short, it didn't feel like that was the way business should be done. So it was less than six months until we had formed OmniKey and um, we jumped in head first, but we just knew that the way we wanted to do business and the investment arm that we wanted to specialize in was never gonna work without the ethics and the integrity of how we operated and we knew it needed to be our vision. So we hired someone to hold our broker license because you have to have a real estate license for two years in Texas back then before you could get a broker's license. And um, we really kind of hit the ground running and it was crazy busy and we were super blessed. It was, and I'm gonna go more into the crash here in a moment, but we saw what was coming and I'm gonna talk about how we saw what was coming. And a lot of people kind of chalked us off to crazy kids because what we were doing was giving us all these signs of significant defaults and overinflation and botched appraisals and all these things. And there were so many different stories that I could tell and you know, the goal is to try to keep this kind of short and sweet, but we knew that something was coming. Um, and so before I go into that, as soon as that time period lapsed and Michael was able to sit for his broker's license, he did. And I can't remember if he was the youngest broker or one of the top few youngest brokers, but uh, he was licensed right after two years in the business. So again, we were still kids at this point. Uh, so what we were doing is we were going door to door for listings to sell and gain investors. And we were working with homeowners, talking to them about what the value of their property had done and what they could do if they were to sell that property. We were buying leads all over the place online, which back then nobody was doing. And so there really wasn't any competition, but also nobody else was willing to work for the prices that we were. We were doing listings for a few hundred dollars. We were doing just a crazy number of flat fee listings. And so back then we were the listing entity for owners.com and for sale by owner, which back then very few people who knew what that was, but we did. And we were handling all of their listings for DFW and for Houston. And we were doing hundreds and hundreds. So that was step one of really seeing what the market was doing because we were handling this mass volume of listings and seeing what was selling, what the trends were doing. And I mean, it was, I think at some points we had almost 200 listings active just between Michael and I, which we have that many now, but of course I've got a whole team now. Back then it was just Michael and I. In addition to that, we were doing a lot of broker price opinions and short sales. We had a direct contact that I had solicited and we worked with at AmeriQuest and Countrywide. So you can kind of see where this is going. And we started seeing what was happening with these price opinion requests for the refinances not being able to reach appraise values, being called from the lenders, being yelled at because our numbers were not where they wanted them to be. So we're about mid 2007 at this point. And Michael and I just basically said to each other, what is going on? This is not gonna sustain. These people are paying way more than these houses are worth. 
you know, we're not doing these deals, but there's other people willing to. The appraisers were basically assigning values at what was asked instead of actually doing their job to really prove the value. They were picking and choosing the comps that they want because back then there wasn't all the requirements and everybody knew the appraiser they were working with and you had them on speed dial. It was just a completely different thing. And so we really got thrown into property management because we were reaching out to people who couldn't sell their homes, people who had overpaid, people who needed to do short sales, needed to do uh, some type of loan modification, but at the time there weren't any, that really wasn't a thing yet. And so we would get them to turn it into a rental property because we really felt like that was a better option than foreclosure. And so many people were upside down that this is what we specialized in. So people would approach us to sell their home. They would own too much. And we would talk to them about the benefits of this becoming a rental property and kind of waiting out until value rose. And so that is really where our property management began. And it was an incredible thing to walk into because we targeted those same areas that we saw that day at the mall. We targeted those same areas of where we bought our first home because we really felt like the city was gonna be a problem, that it was so developed and everybody was paying such crazy numbers that if we went a little further out to the areas that had to grow to keep up where we were studying the traffic patterns and the highways and reading the different things that were going in front of city councils for growth, we felt like if we positioned people in those areas, that they would be able to sustain through whatever happened to the market. So as the market started to wax and wane, our investors who were buying properties and going out and seeking things, we were saying, let's get out of Dallas, let's get out of Dallas County, let's go into these suburbs. Yeah, they're kind of out there right now, but in the next five years, there's gonna be this highway or that highway or this employer's building this. And that was really where we got started. And so by the end of 2007, early 2008, when the market started going crazy, yeah, we were helping a lot of people who reached out to us as these short sale specialists and doing what we did best. But the people who had money and wanted to invest, we were able to position them in places where they sustained perfectly through that. And now on the backside sold at massive profits. And again, it was all about that suburb model, which at the time was pretty much unheard of. We did deal a lot with first time home buyers. So we dealt with a lot of people that were coming out of Section 8 housing. And uh, we actually did a lot of exclusive Section 8 listing and worked with a nonprofit and doing some other things. And so again, that name reputational got out there and people started referring these clients to us that they'd been in housing, they'd never been homeowners. And we helped them get into no down loans when the market had dropped to become homeowners and to be able to get them in and help build up that market too. And so we really were dabbling in a little bit of everything. And then the final thing that we were dabbling in was corporate relocations. So big corporations, which even back then we recognized that many of them were moving to Dallas. We saw massive growth happening at DFW airport and the highway system and the low cost of living, the huge city watching it double in size. And we really felt like this was going to be a corporate relocation area. So we started reaching out to corporate relocation companies and short-term housing and insurance companies to offer them our rental properties at a premium. And so at that time, come 2008, 2009, probably 20% of our rental properties were in short-term or corporate leases where it was either people whose insurance company had to put them up somewhere because there was a disaster in the home 
or people were relocating here and the relocation company was taking care of getting them the property and those people were not capable or not ready to be able to buy. And so really kind of all these things going together is what propelled us forward and, and got us to a huge growth phase. And so as we started doing more and more of these rental properties, by the beginning of 2008, mid 2008, we realized that there had to be a different way to do property management, kind of the gold standard at that time. And, you know, there's no standard fees in property management. There's no standard way to handle things. But what we saw other people coming to us having experienced was 10 to 12 percent property management fees, no visits to the property except move in and move out no real accountability to the tenant so everything that broke everything that went wrong everything that happened the owner was compensating 100 percent. the tenants were not being told to fix these things nobody was showing until the lease was over and really just there was no accountability that's the biggest thing and so you had all of these properties brought to us and we would go do an initial visit and the condition would be just terrible and so we actually did our own quarterly walkthroughs and we started doing that a year or less into the business. It was almost a day one thing that we felt like to effectively manage. You had to visit the property. You had to make the tenants fix things. You had to make sure they were changing the air filter. And then you had to make sure that it was ready to show so that we could show it the last month to two before tenant move out to get a tenant in there. And so that was actually something that we started doing in the beginning and it was really nothing uh, that anybody else was doing. I remember I got a couple calls from some other companies that we worked with that were like, you have to stop doing this. I'll, I won't name names, but I had one company call me who at the time was large. And, you know, I say large now we're twice the size or more that they were back then. But to me, it was like, holy crap, this is a big company. And the owner called me and said, you can't charge these fees. You're going to destroy our business. Because back then we were doing management in the fives and going rate, as I mentioned, was 10 to 12%. And there were very few property management companies back then. And they said, you've got to stop. You're going to put us all out of business. And I said, well, I'm sorry that this is affecting your business, but we're making plenty of money doing it this way. And this is how we're going to build it. And it was, I remember hanging up that phone call, sitting in the office, like, this is crazy. We're scaring people. And we did. And a lot of the companies that were huge competitors back then, some of them have sold, they've gone corporate, and some of them just went out of business. And so looking back, the majority of the people back then that were the huge players, they're pretty much all gone. I can think of one that's still left around, but they're corporate, and uh, two that sold and have absorbed into nationwide companies now. And I don't need to go into why we're not a fan of nationwide property management and that commercial model. Um, you know, when it's not family owned and operated, there's a completely different feel. There's a completely different kind of just way things operate. But um, it was it was interesting. We used to have stockbrokers call us too. We had a couple investors who did really well with us and they liquidated their stock accounts completely and brought all the money to us to go help them invest in property. And I had this one stockbroker call me and say, I, I cannot believe you were doing this and literally threatened me because he was losing so much money from this customer. And um, I had one customer alone who paid cash for 44 houses. And all of those houses were between Rowlett and Wiley. And um, I remember we actually closed out his last property five months ago. And he's now retired, obviously. He did very, very well. But it was, it was incredible to see the faith that people had in us. And I remember always thinking, you know, what if they realize how young I am? Are they gonna trust me? Are they going to think I know what I'm doing? 
And, you know, funny enough, a couple people would joke, oh, you look like a baby. But nobody ever questioned because, again, it goes back to we knew what we were doing. We read and we educated ourselves. And it really at no step did we ever think we don't know what to do here. We don't know what the answer is, because if we didn't know the answer, we were going to dang sure figure it out or find it out or make a solution. And that was where we built the business. So as we get into the market crash, we're seeing the signs of the crash. We really had this ability to kind of see what was happening. And that was the short sales were a big piece of it, working with AmeriQuest and working with Countrywide and seeing what was happening on their end showed us a lot of it. And then the other thing is we were listing a lot of builder properties. And so we really started seeing the financing fall apart. And then we started hearing that companies were going to implode. And for those of you that don't know what that means, there was this mortgage implosion that happened where lenders basically went out overnight. And there was a line called ML implode where those of us on the inside and in the business that were seeing what was happening were tipping off these people as to what we saw happening. And we tipped off on two major companies. We reported it to them and um, they both imploded within a week because we were seeing loans fall apart. We were hearing talk and discussion of, you know, government agencies showing up. And, you know, guys, there was so much going on in the appraisal and lending market. I'll never forget, we had this one guy contact us that wanted to buy a home and he was a manager at McDonald's and he was doing a stated income loan. And some of you have probably heard me tell the story, but long story short, he claimed he made $100,000 a year. And Michael and I refused. We said, we're, we're, not, we're not doing this. This is not accurate. Stated income doesn't mean you can lie. And you know, at the time, there was really no definitive line between what the agent does and what the lender does. It was, well, the lender handles the loan and realtor handles the real estate stuff. But we were seeing all of these things happen. And then there were all these loans called purchase plus loans. And what that was where an investor could get 103% financing on a rental property which I remember at the time, Michael and I used to sit at dinner and talk about this. How can you be an investor and buy an investment property and get 3% back at closing? But that's what was happening. And so, you know, when people ask me if the market's about to do the same thing it did then, all I can really do is chuckle because if you really were in the last crash and you really saw what was happening, you would understand that there was such a difference and the bad, dirty paper that was going on was completely different than how loans are written now, you know? So it's it's interesting looking back and seeing what happened, but we, we were seeing so many signs. And I had this one lady come to me who needed a short sale. She bought a house and it was in Rowlett, which was a heavy, heavy market for us. And she needed me to short sell her home. She just bought it about two years before. So I went to go meet with her, walk through the house. And I said, well, tell me what's going on, how I can help. Let's get the short sale paperwork together. And she said, well, my AC went out and it's $1,600 or something like that to fix it. And I don't want to pay for it. And I asked her and I said, well, how much money do you have in the house? Because, you know, it's really important that you don't want to destroy your credit and you don't want to lose whatever you put in. She's like, oh, no, no, no. I got 5% or something back at closing. I have nothing in the deal. I just want to walk away. If you can short sell it, great. If not, I'll just let it foreclose. This was the type of dialogue we were hearing from people. So what we really kind of started to understand was when people have no skin in the game, they have no reason to hold out. They have no reason to fight for it. They have no reason to do what's right and what they're capable of doing other than just walking away. And this is the similar mentality that we take to our tenants, right? Because the bottom line is if they don't have any skin in the game, 
they don't have any accountability or desire to be accountable, which is why we do the big deposits, why we do the walkthroughs, why we're constantly in front of them. It's, it's the same model, right? It just all grew from and bloomed from what we were seeing on the mortgage side. So 2011, we decided to rent out our property and bought a bigger home. We had adopted a daughter and we adopted a little six year old or six and a half year old girl. And our first home, everything was upstairs. And I had gone through a, a big health crisis and not gonna go into too much detail about that, but long story short, I have lupus nephritis, lupus SLE, and it attacked in a pregnancy. And we lost our son after fighting uh, eight months in the NICU. And after that, there was this, you know, kind of question about, well, now how do we build a legacy? And there were two things that were important to us to do that. Number one was adoption, because I obviously couldn't have children. I was, they, they've written case studies on me. For those of you on my Facebook, you actually saw I shared the, the case study that was done a while ago on my, my case and how the guy's now teaching at Harvard that saved my life. But um, it was about building the legacy. So children, of course, having a family was really important to us. And building some type of empire or wealth that would outlive us, something that would take care of our special needs children, something that would take care of our family, something that would take care of us. And we never wanted to be in a situation where we saw my family and his family again. And so it was really, we were driven. I came out of that crisis and all of that. And, you know, it's funny, my mother used to tell me, you know, most people would just fall apart, that their life would be over. And I came out of it more grateful and more thankful and more driven than I was going into it. And I was pretty dang driven back then. And so we adopted our first daughter and we knew we were gonna adopt again. So a year later, we turned our first property into a rental and we bought this home. And this was, a beautiful house we loved it it was in the same city same neighborhood and it was on a creek it was fantastic so we closed on it we remodeled it and we went to go look to adopt another child well we found two children not one child and so we adopted two children that next year and uh that house didn't last very long either wasn't quite big enough for that big old family but we'll go over that in a minute so by the end of 2011, the property management side was just insane for us. And we made the decision that although we loved our short sale and flat fee clients and all of the moving parts we were doing, that we knew where we were gonna make the biggest difference was helping people through the crash and helping people capitalize on the crash and the incredible boom that we felt Dallas was gonna have. Because we knew Dallas didn't get hit like everywhere else did. We were watching all these other markets and talking to other experts and through the boards and things that we were on and nobody fared like Dallas did, especially not in the areas we're talking about. And so, we basically backed away from everything. We backed away from the flat fees. We backed away from the short sales, other than just a few key ones that yeah, people were still referring to us. And I didn't want to leave someone high and dry, but we went fully into investment property. And so in 2012, we were approached by an investment uh, kind of network. And long story short, there was a turnkey provider who had sold a lot of bad deals and there was a property management company involved and this was not the only call we got this was certainly the largest call but there was a property management company that was doing everything wrong and i don't really need to go into all of it but just rest assured it was bad 
and so we took on about 250 customers and it was all in about a 60-day period and we fixed the mess many of them were facing bankruptcy lots of vandalized houses lots of destroyed houses bad make readies repair issues and we did it all for our normal property management fee and word got around and we started getting a lot of calls like that and really by the end of 2012 we were known as the fixers and we still are that is certainly you know what we're here for so we started out fixing people that were in bad mortgages or people that needed to get out and people that couldn't refinance and all those things and it's translated by this point into if you have a property and you're in trouble call Omnikey and that was exactly what happened and so I started getting invited to speak around the United States and start working with these customers and you know really to me we could have capitalized on their positions of course but it was so important when I started getting these calls and thinking these are regular everyday people this I'll never forget there was one customer who had bought a house in Mesquite and I think it was Mesquite it may have been right on the edge of uh, the Dallas side over by uh, Pleasant Grove but she had paid like $120,000 for a house and it was now worth like 65, 70. And the foundation at the time was the worst I'd ever seen. And anyway, we got the house stabilized. We got it tenanted. We, we limped along and in the end, the house sold for like 140,000. And so, you know, it was stories like that, that they were everyday people. It was her life savings. This was her one investment and she just trusted the wrong person and so all of this happening is really what decided that we were going to go full scale and to just the investment arm because we knew that so many people were doing it the wrong way and we really felt like we would be able to do it right and do it in volume and still keep that hand holding feel as you guys see that we still do so as i mentioned we ran out of room and so we sold that house about a year and a half later i don't even think it was that long and we adopted those two extra you know kiddos and so we adopted a almost nine-year-old and an almost 13 year old and so we bought this beautiful home that was so awful you couldn't walk in the front door it I'll never forget I took my mother to go see it and you know this was really kind of in the height of the that crash and that whole era where things hadn't rebounded and I walked my mother into this house and she's like you can't buy this this is terrible and it it, it was rough they had I guess a bad divorce situation and the less it sold for it came out of his split not hers so there were just four dogs let to run free and it, it was it was quite an experience but you know we'd been remodeling properties for customers for so many years and even doing our own houses that it was it was a challenge we wanted to take on so we put over two hundred thousand dollars in this house and um it was it served us well for a very long time it was a beautiful one story about six thousand square feet on an acre and we were super blessed to live there loved it we we sold that house two years ago um, and now we live in, in a different side of town but um, it it was great because I remember we used to drive by this neighborhood it was on the way from our first house to the broker that we went to work for and we would drive by this neighborhood and Michael and I would look over there and we'd say to each other one day maybe we'll be lucky enough to live in that neighborhood and um, that was kind of like our thing this neighborhood had these big old berms or these hills that entered it and these big old trees and bushes and everything and we drive by that neighborhood and I tell him every time one day, one day, I just want to be successful enough to live in that neighborhood. And, uh, and we did 
And funny enough, the neighborhood we now live in, we used to drive by and be like, gosh, I wonder what kind of people live in that neighborhood. And we never even said that we, we really wanted to live there because it just never even seemed in the realm of possibility. But um, we, as I said, we've been, we've been infinitely blessed. And I don't wanna give the impression we haven't worked for it. We have, Michael and I have not taken a full day off in over 10 years. That's um, just not nature of our business. We've got an amazing team, but there's not a day we're not on the phone or on our email or, or teaching classes or whatever it may be. But I certainly would not change that for the world. So fast forwarding to today, uh, we represent over a thousand investors and owners from all over the world. And we cover about 70% of Texas. And we are extremely high volume buyers now. We have bought 67 units in the last seven months alone. So um, we don't do any pooled or group deals. I get that question a lot. It's not that we don't want to or wouldn't. It's that we very much feel like we like control and we recommend the same thing for our customers that we like 100% ownership. There's a great movement for passive income and passive deals if you don't wanna be the active decision maker and involved in the day-to-day. -day. And so that's a great plan for most people. But for us, we're active, we're type A. I, I would feel really bad for anybody who invested with us. <laughs> but um, we love it. And so we specialize in buying as my, my contractors and my employees would say, teardowns, we just don't tear them down. So I, um, for those of you that aren't on my Facebook, feel free to send me a friend request and you can watch our progress. We do it all in uh, private groups and private uh, uh, photo albums and things, just because we have a lot of people you know, that reach out. But um, if you want, I'll be happy to accept your friend request and you can watch what we're doing and watch our crazy life with our kids and our dogs. Just make sure you send me a message when you send that request because I get about 100 a week, so I know who you are and, and why you're requesting it, if I don't already know you personally. But uh, we really have kept with that family handheld feel. And so for those of you who haven't known us long, uh, prior to COVID and certainly coming out of COVID, we do every three months, we do a big party at our house and it's it's not business. It's just getting together like-minded individuals wanting to build something in this real estate world to make a difference. And um, we have charitable organizations we bring into each one and uh, we've been super blessed. Our clients and friends are so supportive and we raise thousands of dollars each quarter for these organizations. And we really have just, our you know, it's twofold, right? A question I get a lot is, well, why haven't you retired? Because I can, I have enough passive income to do that. But it's, it's about the lifestyle. It's about, we love what we do and we love our business and we love our people and we love our clients and our friends and our employees. And, you know, the difference that we make, and I know it's huge because I have people who retire every day off what we do. And really at the end of the day, remove all that from the mix, it's the call that we get from the person who needs help. It's the call that we get from the owner who has had some awful situation and they need our assistance. And, you know, in times like coronavirus where, yeah, we, we want to pull our hair out some days because it's been crazy, you know, call volumes up 40% and not just for us, but for our vendors and the home warranties. And, you know, there's so many things to navigate now and so many moving pieces. And then you get the call from the customer who has just a terrible situation with the tenant or yeah, tried to evict the tenant and ran into problems because they didn't know what they were doing or who knows what the story is going to be. And those stories are the constant ground for us and the reminder of this is why we do this and this is why we work nonstop and this is why we love what we do because I know the void that we would leave behind would be great. And I'm, 
um, it's not conceded, it's just the truth. And we intend to make that just such an integral part of what we do as we grow. And so plans are to expand to states around us as we see that there are laws and their restrictions and things match our model. We won't sacrifice the model to operate elsewhere and then certainly continuing to expand through Texas. So we started the move outside of North Texas three years ago and we've already gotten to 70% of the state. So uh, we certainly are moving as quickly as we can while making sure that we can offer the same thing as we move through uh, those expansions. So I wanted to kind of end this with just a personal look so that you know who we are on a more personal level and, and what we do that's not work. And so uh, me personally, I serve on a whole bunch of committees. I'm on three right now throughout the state for real estate. And then I serve on a board for a nonprofit as well. And we're involved, as I mentioned, with a, a lot of charitable organizations and things. And you can actually learn more about that on our website as well. And then of course, through my Facebook where I'm very active. I, I love cooking. I actually have a cooking group on Facebook too. If you love homemade recipes and things, that's kind of the only time I'm not doing something on my phone or on a call or on the computer is when I'm cooking. So I love to cook and I'm one of the only people in my family who cooks. And so um, one of my best memories of this whole coronavirus thing, if you can even have a positive memory, is every week or two dropping a week's worth of food to my mother and grandmother who are just, they're not going out. It's just too high risk. And so I've been cooking for lots and lots of people and having people over and cooking, being safe, because uh, I do have lupus, but on the same token, I recognize that I, I fought to be here to be able to uh, have that quality of life. So Facebook is definitely one of my worst habits because I'm on it all the time. And I love to swim, I love movies, and I love to read. So I, I certainly, I can't have idle thumbs. So you'll always find me multitasking. I'm either reading and watching TV or listening to music and turning emails. Or you're never gonna find me doing just one thing unless it's sleeping. And uh, yeah, I just, I like to stay busy for sure. And Michael is way more impressive than me. And I'll tell you why. So after we adopted the third child, Michael came to me and said, Leah, I really wanna give back. I really want to do something different. And he went to police academy full time for six months to become a police officer as a reserve. And he's been doing that for seven years now. And he's actually a lieutenant with the constable's office in Collin County. So super proud of him. He donates a ton of time and does very unique cases, works a lot with the types of organizations and things that matter to us and how he utilizes his police career. And he's a full-blown cop, guys. He's not, uh, you know, sitting in a courtroom watching cases and escorting people in and out. He's doing everything your regular cops do and, and people call him for advice and, you know, he's got a whole team under him. So super proud of him. And certainly when he came to me wanting to do that, I didn't get it, but I supported him. And that's the great thing about being a business owner and uh, being in a marriage with someone who's your best friend. So uh, Michael served and has served on a ton of boards and commissions, not only in law enforcement, real estate, but also just general city government. He actually is running for city council in our city right now. And it's there's a lot of reasons why, but most importantly, it's about spending. It's about spending and what a city has the right to do and not do. Michael is very involved in a bunch of charitable organizations as well as me. And then for his pastimes, he loves reading. He loves collecting coins and guns. We are from Texas. 
he loves fishing and he loves anything history. Michael has a photographic memory and so he loves to read anything he can and don't ever try to question him on something he read because he will remember it and he'll know exactly what the facts are. Now, the caveat to that is, is he has more useless knowledge than anyone, I. he's over here laughing, more useless knowledge than anyone I have ever met. So you'll be having a conversation and the guy's gonna spit out a fact about something and you're like, how do you know that? But um, it's, it's great to watch because he's definitely the smartest guy in the room and he knows it. So, but uh, just really super blessed with, with our business and with having all of you in our lives and getting to do this investment journey together. Next week actually marks the beginning of our 15th year. And I certainly am uh, just so happy to see what the next 15 bring. So thanks for listening to our story. And uh, you know, if you ever have a kid that says they can't amount to anything, just tell them what we did. I tell my kids all the time and their favorite thing to tell me is, mom, I'm not like you. I'm, I'm not like that. But uh, it can be done. It can be done. And we all have the opportunity to make something great of ourselves. And it doesn't matter what background you come from. It's about the drive and it's about the motivation. And uh, it's, it's about wanting something better for yourself and your world. And so anyway, thank you all for being a part of the journey with us. Thanks for attending this class today. And we will look forward to our robust class schedule the next few weeks. We've got some great classes coming up. And um, my favorite one we're gonna talk about is how your tax bill changes, your income tax bill, by owning just four rental properties. This is gonna be a huge class. And the point of me doing this class is to show you how just a little bit of rental property ownership can completely transform your life. So you don't have to do it on the scale like we do, and you don't have to be crazy about it like we are, but um, just a dabble, just, just a little getting your feet wet is enough to change your life. So look forward to seeing everybody there. I, I appreciate all the positive comments and everything. Yes, this, uh, this will be sent out and will be available for anybody uh, that didn't get to finish. But um, again, just thank you all so much for being on this journey with us. I hope everybody's staying safe and staying sane in light of this uh, interesting time that we're in right now. And just know that we are always doing our best for you, for your property, for your tenants. And if you ever need anything personally or professionally, we're all one big family. We're always here. So again, thank you everybody and take care.